0: All right, everybody, welcome to a, um, I wouldn't call it a special episode of the Eric Andrews Lang show, but it's an urgent episode. Um, we're, uh, we're going to do a conversation today and, you know, I think that, you know, I don't have any real scripted remarks about what I want to say before I introduce you to my guest, our guest, Matthew Kennard who describes himself as a, uh, a mediocre golfer unless money's on the line. And he um, he's an executive involved with an educational technology company, which I think is actually very appropriate for why he's a guest today. Um, I, like all of you, have gone through a week of varying degrees of difficulty, depending on how open your eyes are. And... Um, you know, I think we all in the golf community and all in the random golf club community are really kind of struggling, I think, searching, asking questions, and I, I have a feeling if you're like me, you're you're feeling a lot. And um, Matthew and I, Matt and I got connected through Instagram early this week after I posted on Monday about... Um, my responsibility within this entire subject of the Black Lives Matter movement. And it came at a time for me where, I mean, here's the thing, right? We all live our lives and we're so singularly focused a lot of the time, usually on work. And so that's our pathway. That's our highway. And we don't really look to the side. And maybe on the side of that road is a you know a homeless encampment but you don't notice it maybe on the side of the road is a hospice where 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 people are dying and you don't notice it and some people in the world spend every day of their lives on those lines doctors nurses therapists activists philanthropists and i'm a little you know I, i'm probably the one of the people that just drives and maybe even drives faster and the obvious equation involved with this movement is that we're all at home. We're all quiet. We're all uncomfortable as it is uh, with this pandemic. And so when the opportunity for the community to stand up and say, wait, this is not the, uh, once again, this is not the way it should be. This, This is not the way it could be. I think, Really, what an opportunity for the entire community of not just America, but the world to stand up and say, we agree, we agree, we agree, and we have time, and we are not driving right now, and we are seeing, and we're listening, and so really, um, I am a type of person that believes nothing happens for a reason, even though I'm not going to be found in a church on a Sunday. Um, I, uh, I do definitely believe that. So I'll start with reading, Matt's Matt sitting here on the Zoom call, just sort of, <laughs> just audience of one right now. <laughs> um, again, I, I want to, by way of proper introduction, I want you all to hear the exchange that Matt and I had before we even had a phone call um, two days ago. So Matt responded to uh, the the I Stand piece that I wrote, which was aimed at really, um supporting everybody who's hurting um, specifically any African-American members of the community who may feel like, you know, speak up, Eric, please defend us. And I've talked to some of Matt's, um, no, I'm sorry. I've I've talked to some other friends of random golf club, uh, some black members who have felt, you know, one of them said, "I, I went outside and marched and I couldn't believe that everybody was marching for me. And, it, the problem is is when you're driving down the freeway and you're used to going fast and passing by all of these problems that people have with life is that you you are closed and i'm i'm obviously not a racist person but on some level i'm ignorant on some level i am choosing to ignore these problems and so it's a pandora's box a little bit because for me i know my experience is when i opened it up and I, this is how Matt and I first connected was I, I, was, not awi- I was not prepared for the feeling of the, the, the many feelings that were incredibly intense and essentially, um, you know, sidelined me. You know, I wasn't able to, to take part in that game that I was having. And I think there was a lot of blowback to the there was some blowback to the black posts on Instagram. And I disagree. I I, I, um, I think that you know we have an opportunity to put it in our words and to stand up. And some people didn't, but but still, I I think it's better to do it than not. I could go long and long about this one because I was pretty offended by some friends and colleagues of mine who didn't do that, and I struggled with my own responsibility of do I message them? Do I say hey, what the what is your problem? <laughs> like, what? Why can't you simply just stand up like for, for five seconds? And I ultimately let that go and let them just live their own lives. But, but ultimately I was faced with a character judgment and maybe it's wrong. I don't know. People have their own ways of doing it, but I, I, I keep getting digressed here. So Matthew starts up with an opening message here. Um, that was a reply to, and I'll read this as well. I'll start off with what I wrote. Um, I wrote, I stand with anyone who needs to stand to be accepted, heard, treated equally, and treated fairly. I'm not sure if you remember the time in your – I'm going to cry on this podcast. I just want to warn you. We had a company meeting on Thursday, and I read your message, Matt, to my team, and I I cried. And I was, like, embarrassed. But at the same time, I mean, it would stand to – of course you would. Right. Of course because of what you said. And and you're not gonna cry because you're used to it. But we'll see what happens. We'll see. <laughs> okay, well we laugh too. Promises. That's good. To anyone I, I stand with anyone who needs to be who needs to stand to be accepted, heard, treated equally, and treated fairly. I'm not sure if you remember the time in your life when you learned about race, when the world told you its so called definition of what the color of skin meant. I was ten. The concept of race and social status was introduced to me then and the simple idea that my life wasn't the same as anyone else's hit me hard as everyone else's hit me hard i remember feeling sad i remember being so confused that the completely random circumstances of our birth defines the hardships we will face in life i increasingly i increasingly think how unfair this is now as i see more and more of the world i think the answer isn't always as simple as the problem unfortunately I know for me, I always try and emphasize with whomever I'm speaking with, wherever I am, empathize with. I try not to speak in ways that will divide people, but rather find areas of connection and what we can share. Even as simple as seeing someone and waving or smiling, we can break down what could be an assumed brush, potentially offering an alternative view to a stereotype. I'm speaking about golf, obviously. That's that's that sort of golf is very quickly stereotyped, and so I'm speaking about on the golf course primarily. Also in life, but um, alternative view to a stereotype. In that way, the answer could be very simple. Lincoln said, and I'm not an advocate of Lincoln because I know there are some things he did that aren't good. Lincoln said that to destroy your enemies, you must make them your friends. It's upon us to find something in every single person that is worthy of love, of compassion. I know this is possible even for the most wicked people because by this logic, any offender was just taught poorly. At 10 years old, someone gave them the wrong information, and we as a race of humans are not correcting them. Once I heard a caddy say something racist, I told him it was inappropriate, and it made me sad. I imagined that maybe no one else had told him in his life, told him this in his life, and that for him, in his world, his thinking was okay. However we do this, it comes from love, unity, and openness. Please stand up to racism wherever it finds you, however small or insignificant. And be the one candle to light someone else's. You know, I'll be honest, as I read this back, I think it's kind of a little light. I would have, I would have if I was writing it on now on Saturday, six days later, I would have written it pretty differently. But at that time, I was scared because I was really, I didn't see a lot of other of my colleagues writing about this. And I just thought, I have to do something. So we won't edit this, but we'll go straight into Matt's response, which is a powerful and profound exchange that I want you all to hear Keep standing, Eric, Matt says. Keep fighting. Use your platform. Show more of the different sides of life, many of whom love this game. You have been blessed to have a forever friend in golf. Use that love to help point out the inequalities that are so well ingrained in the history of our game. I have faith in you, friend. As a black man in America, I have appreciated your openness to looking back at the inequalities that play out in golf as a microcosm of the inequalities that play out in life you are doing what is right. Keep standing. I'm sure you know, Matt, as we're on the phone now that this was an important and powerful message for me to receive. So in that way, thank you. The dialogue that we are having and have had is um, not a coincidence. (laughs) And I respond, thanks Matthew. I really wasn't prepared for how writing that post would make me feel. I'm just so overwhelmed right now with sadness. I just feel so incredibly bad. It's like, what is going on with people right now? How do you frame it? And 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 really, to give you a, a look here, I posted this at two o'clock, I believe, something like that. Matthew responded more or less at the same time, and then 30 minutes later, I responded to him. And what was going on on that Monday afternoon for me is, I was fully off the freeway. In a, in a very intense and real way. And I was wandering through this neighborhood that I had never seen, never heard of. that's in my hometown. And it wasn't about the fires and the looting. It was about just the pain. And, and I'm, not, I'm not really talking about the protest as much as I'm talking about your life, Matt. Sure. Every day of your life, whether it's 10 years old, 20 years old, how old are you now?
1: Uh, 35. 35
0: years old young man.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: So interesting how, you know, as I read this and as we talk now, you know, well, I'll get into it later. Anyway, your response, Matt, to that, how do you frame it? Matt says, I think you are seeing and feeling a bit of what people of color feel daily. It is an overwhelming sense of sadness and isolation. Young children often say it best when they ask us, quote, why can't they just like us? As a white man in America who wants to stand against inequality and to be an ally for minorities, there are several great steps you can take, he says, with an exclamation point. <laughs> that made me smile. Number one, take time to educate yourself on the history of racial inequality in the US and its long lasting impact and contribution to other prejudice. Understand privilege and how it works. Two, Check in on your friends and family that are impacted by this and listen to them. Let their voices lead and serve as a support for them. Let their voices lead and serve as a support for them. Understand that they may wish to talk about something else or just have a safe moment to quietly reflect with you. Give them room for their voice to be heard and a safe space with you. Three, look for opportunities to get involved using your time, talent, and treasure. Volunteer, protest, donate, and let people of color lead. Here are some great places to start. And there are two links here, which we'll put in the podcast. Um, <clears throat> and then here's where I really got hit with it. You asked for a way to frame it. And here's what I can tell you, Matt says. I live with the challenges of being black in America every day. It's exhausting and often isolating. I will have to live with that every day. But I also have hope because I know that my generation, my generation can change the story. Our generation, really. anyone who's right. Asked,
1: you're not 40 yet.
0: It's both of I've <laughs> got 10 months. The path of our, of your sadness is channeling that pain into action and finding ways to use what you've been given to help. You have a voice that resonates response, change and help build a community that lifts up impacted communities around you. It may just be the most fulfilling thing you ever do. Thanks for reaching out, Eric. I genuinely love your work and I know that you can make such a tremendous difference hope we connect again in the future. And now here we are. So, Matt, um, I think we've talked about a lot together, um, just in messages and and on the phone. I think perhaps it's important for members of the podcast just to go straight into it. And when we had our pre-podcast call, which is something I never do, but I really wanted to make sure that we did. You said something to me, a two word phrase you said to me that I wasn't aware of. And I'd never heard of, but it's all too common in your black life. You talked about as an adolescent man in America being given the talk. Sure. Can you explain to me and our listeners what that really is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it it's funny <clears throat> In some ways, it encapsulates the challenge that we're facing today. So uh, I think for most black kids growing up, uh, you reach a certain age where you, you want to have your license or you want to be able to leave the house unaccompanied, and um, mm-hmm. it's met with a fear response from your parents. And it doesn't make a lot of sense at first, right? All my friends can go out. What's, what's the problem? And the talk is uh, a talk that I think every black family has with their children about the challenges that they face when they walk out the door. You know, I, I can distinctly remember my mom saying to me, it's about you coming back through the door at the end of the day that I am most concerned about. And you're going out into a world now without us there to guide or protect you where you are exposed. You're exposed to folks who aren't going to like the way you look, don't want you in their spaces. You're exposed to police officers who will see you and be afraid of you. And for any of those groups of people, it's not going to matter who you are, where you come from, whether or not you have money, whether or not you're smart, your threat. And so you need to comport yourself in such a way that gets you home at the end of the day. Um, I remember during our call I mentioned, you know, what would happen if you got caught speeding when you were a teenager and you said, Yeah, and my dad would yell at me. And I said, you know, my own father said, Yeah, I'll yell at you later. But my concern is that you get through the encounter with a police officer alive. That's my primary concern. And that talk, the idea um, that a parent has to do that because the world has that much risk in it for you, I think is one of the most mind blowing and tangible examples of the differences of growing up, you know, as a potential victim of systemic racism or being able to not be aware of it as a part of your life.
0: Yeah, I never had that talk. Never had it. Never had it. And I was an idiot. I should have had the talk. I should have been the one white kid that did have the talk. <laughs> but you have no
1: reason to have to have it. Yeah. It's not the same concern, right? I mean, it's if you get pulled over, you do something stupid, it risks college, you know, it risks the next steps in your life. How are you gonna get a career? And all those things are true. Right. In some ways, when you're black, they're even more disqualifying, right? You got to be twice as good, but, um, it's lives at stake and that's the basis for the talk. Uh, and that is, I think just such a easy glimpse into the difference.
0: Yeah. And, and one of the things that we have the ability to do here with you, Matt, is to remove money from the equation, because from what you've told me, both, both of your parents, I'm assuming they're still together.
1: They are. They are
0: both lawyers. Yep. You grew up in a, uh, a, a upper middle class neighborhood in Massachusetts.
1: Yep, I did. I did.
0: How many? How many kids in your grade in high school?
1: Oh, I'll I'll make it a little easier for you. Uh, so I grew up in a town called Weston, Massachusetts. We were one of four families sending kids who lived in Weston um, to the schools I was there from fourth to sixth grade, and I went to a private school. And, you know, one of the black families that was there was ML Carr, who was the head coach of the Celtics at the time, right? So it is, uh, it was a very isolating world compounded by the fact that Boston still struggles with the idea of integration into its schools. Um, we were a Metco school. So you had kids coming in from the city of Boston out to the school district.
0: Sorry, a Uh, Metco school. Is that like a charter school or?
1: No, it's a public school, which participates in a program in Boston that uh, brings kids in from lower income neighborhoods uh, to give them access to, to a better school. Um, And those dynamics are incredibly difficult.
0: Probably even for you, especially because you're, Supposed to maybe be their ally, but they look at you as, nah, he's not like us. You don't fit
1: in. You don't yeah. fit in one way or another. You know, it's funny. I remember um, <laughs> it was my first week of school and I took the bus to school, you know, like everybody else. What and age are you? This is the
0: first week of ninth grade? Fourth grade. Fourth grade. Fourth grade. Fourth
1: grade. So I'm 10. You're 10. 10. Young, young, young whippersnapper. And I'm confused as to what bus I'm supposed to get on. Because, you know, I'm 10. I'm now,
0: sorry, I, I, I hate to interrupt you. But at this point, yeah. are you clear on race and racism?
1: Yeah, I know who I am and where I'm at. I wow. know that I am. Uh, I know that I will not be treated the same. Um, and this frustrated is and confused. 96, that's correct. And uh, No, so 96, uh, no, 94, 94. 94, okay. Yep, so I was born in 84. And I am looking for what bus to get on. And a teacher points me to the Metco bus. I said, I'm sorry, I I live here. Um, that's not, here's my address. And they say, well, you don't live here. Are you going to visit somebody? At which point I refused to get on the bus and called my parents and they came and picked me up. And, you know, I was fortunate to have parents who obviously could come in and uh, be extremely vocal and active about that being, um, you know, a form of mistreatment. But the fact is systemic racism isn't just uh, police violence. It is a everyday degradation of a group of people. an everyday belief um, that they can't be trusted, that they can't be listened to, that they can't exist in white spaces. Um, and you think about it, I'm a 10 year old talking to a teacher about trying to get home. Right? It blows my mind and I you know I work in education technology today. We provide core curriculum I'm in school districts all the time. And solving that equity access that dignity problem is at the heart of what we're talking about today. Because this is it's taught behavior. Right? Little kids don't know this. It's taught behavior.
0: Yeah. And it's taught a lot of times, not even through a complete sentence. Correct.
1: It is a locking of the doors, driving through a neighborhood. It's a speeding, you know, you use the highway example, it's speeding past something or refusing to engage in questions as to why are there differences or blaming those differences on a set of what we know to be specious facts because easier to blame that than recognize that, um, there are societal structures which have ensured certain outcomes.
0: I want to come back to this, but I'm curious to know, are you a football fan?
1: Uh, I am a football fan. I'm a Patriots fan. I grew up in Boston, but I actually stopped watching the NFL, uh, about two and a half years ago.
0: Not a coincidence.
1: Two-parter for me. One, obviously around the Kaepernick piece, and then two, um, it's actually it's, it's another face of the same coin. Um, if you look at the treatment of those impacted by CTE and long-term injury, the fact that the league can make billions of dollars and not adequately care for uh, the backs upon which they made those billions of dollars, uh, you know, in a league that has a tremendous number of minority athletes, you know, it all speaks to the same problem.
0: Wow. So you stopped watching completely?
1: I did. Hard to do.
0: Yeah. Do you miss Hard it? To,
1: I do. I do. It's fun. I mean, I, I will say this. I, I would never let my children play football. My dad was adamant that we would never play football. But Really? Yeah. No, too many knee and back injuries. Um, not not worth it at 20 to be hobbling around. But it's just at some point you got to put your – your money where your mouth is literally and I'm not willing to contribute and pay money into a system that, um, is so misaligned.
0: You know, we're, we're now on Saturday, June 6th, yesterday, Friday, June 5th, Robert Goodell. I think that's his name.
1: Yeah. made a statement
0: that you probably, probably felt good to hear. <laughs> did, it. Did, did it mean anything to you? No,
1: because this is about the money that's on the line. This isn't about Roger Goodell uh, or the owners coming around.
0: Um, So you're saying it's not actually anything that's going to be done. It's merely just a quick apology.
1: I think it remains to be seen if Roger Goodell and the ownership, because let's not forget he represents ownership, actually does something about this and is responsive to the legions of articulate, smart commentary that's come out of the players today. Um, maybe we're getting somewhere. But look, the reality is this, and I know we'll talk about this in a little bit, but um, people look for off-ramps when it comes to talking about racism. You know, And I think you folks who go onto your Instagrams, I'm sure you've seen it, people will say, you know, if only people would peacefully protest, or right, I could get behind this if there weren't looting. I mean, looting is horrible, right? I and mean, we can all agree that looting is not a good thing. It's also bad when people are looting and rioting because a team won or didn't win a sports championship. Uh, college did or did not win a national championship. Any of the other reasons that we see looting out there, I think we can all agree that it's universal bad. But if you're using that as the off ramp to avoid talking about the hard conversation, which is specifically police brutality and systemic racism, you're never going to be happy with the protests because if that's the case, then you should have been all in on Kaepernick's protest, which was peaceful and straightforward.
0: So too easy to ignore that one. Well, I mean th- we had another situation at play, which was sort of a, an enemy at the top that was calling for a double boycott somehow. We don't need to get into that.
1: Sure. And it it comes down to definitions, right? Look, at the end of the day, uh, I'm happy and proud to be an American, right? There's so many great things this country can stand for. But wrapping yourself in patriotism or trying to say that the military is represented by a flag when the reality is um, the military fights for the values of that flag. And I grew up, you know, my dad was a, Naval Academy grad and an officer, you know, family served. Um, It's what it represents, right? One of the biggest travesties in American history is the fact that you could fight in Europe in World War II as integrated units and come back and be told that you have to use different washrooms. Didn't matter in the foxhole. why does it matter at the roadside diner, right? So if you're upset, You're not going to be happy when it's peaceful. You're not going to be unhappy when it's, you're not going to be happy when it's not peaceful. The reality is you you don't want to have the hard conversation. And I think the hard part that you've seen and the, the visceral reaction you've been hearing is a whole group of people, including people like yourself who look like them, saying, no, 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 we're not going to skip over this conversation. We probably should have had it, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Any time over the last five years, last five months. But for not for nothing, today we're having the conversation. And I think that that moment is hard because all of a sudden it's not just restricted to a group of people where you can dismiss it. It's people who look like you saying, we see how we've been complicit in this and we're willing to do the work to even it up because at the end of the day oppressed peoples can never win their freedom, right? That's the way the power structure works. It has to be those with that power, recognizing that there's a moral and just cause that requires
0: change. Someone needs to open the the door.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Force force will help, but it's faster and probably more unified to be working together.
1: And there's a cost to it, right? Um, There are, there's a benefit, there's a benefit to being on the unimpacted side of systemic racism, just like there's a benefit to being on the profiting side of some of the wealth mechanisms at play in, in America, right? That, you know, continue to push socioeconomic striation. And there are um, costs to you for equality. It means that you have to compete against everybody. It means that you also get the benefit of the voices that come from different experiences from you. You know, if you put it in business terms, most research would show you that companies that have diverse boards, representation of women, representation of racial minorities representation of, um, you know, differences in sexual orientation go down the list. They tend to do better. Why do they do better? Because they're more reflective of their customer base. If you're reflective of your customer base, you're able to bring those voices. When you think about product creation, you think about marketing, you have a better understanding of the people that you're trying to reach. We as a society are better when more voices are listened to. So how do we We get to this point where we actually understand we will all benefit from doing this, even if the short-term cost is losing some of those structural benefits that people have um, benefited from in the past.
0: I think one of the um, saddest points for me of this week has been the concept that I'll think about when I'm in between something which is this This very small thought. And I'm not even sure if it's an accurate thought, but I wanted to bring it up to you, Matt, to see your thoughts on it. Do you think that I could not as simply be where I am today if I was black, but more specifically, do you think that I could have the job that I have? If I was black, do you think that people would, do you think I would, do you think I would face so much difficulty in attempting it? Do you think that the BGHR may not have hired me in the beginning to just sort of do this random little job? Do you think that brands that, you know, work with us, like Waste Management or Chase or Cisco or Tailor Made, do you think they would say, well, let's keep looking? I don't know. And the truth is, I will say it's, it's worth its due to say this, is that when I started posting and talking about these things, a representative from each of those companies, usually our primary point of contact, the you know communications director or media marketing manager or whatever, was in my DM saying thank you. So, But that doesn't really answer my question. Sure. What do you, do you is, it, is it just too hypothetical yeah. entirely?
1: We'll say this, Eric, you know, we were joking, you know, I started listening to you uh, about a year ago and uh, I travel 80, 90% of the time, eight, nine planes a week. And uh, what I, what drew me to you was the fact that you came with this fresh perspective on the idea of this game being a unifier, right? But I think in particular for the golf world, there was a benefit an invitation that came with what you were doing. That started with the fact that here's a guy who looks like me, who understands where I came from, who is a watch fanatic. And, you know, if you could ask tiger one question would ask him about his, <laughs> his, his deep sea Rolex. But I, I think there's an invitation there because uh, you had a cross appeal, but do I think you could have done that if you were not a white guy? Sure, I think it would have been harder. And I think that someone with, you know, you are where you are because you're a talented guy. And I think there are other talented people who could also do similar things. The question is would they be able to gain access as quickly? Would it feel as comfortable to come with a groundbreaking idea Right, that would have made um, a PGA tour commissioner or a large golf brand who knows where they make their money. Right, they're not silly. They they're smart folks. They get it and say, "Hey, this makes sense." And I think a lot of your broad-based appeal, the fact that you have minority listeners and people who want to engage with you, is the fact that you have uh, opened a door. But I'll put this question back to you, which is this don't you think sometimes it takes an ambassador who looks around and says, I see in my own community that this doesn't make sense. Here's this amazing game that can unify people. And I want to talk about the different aspects of it, whether it's playing golf in Compton or tackling issues of drug abuse. Um, I remember one of your first hidden videos you released with, uh, with your friend was it Mike, Mike. Remember Mike, you know, you went to places that other people wouldn't go. And you were willing to open it up and show a different world. So while I don't know if you would have gotten there or not gotten there, I know it would have been a harder road. I'm grateful that you got there because you're willing to take the platform. And I think before you even really consciously knew what you were doing, you were pointing out both the structural inequality of golf and the way that we fix it. Right? I mean, one thing you said to me that that stuck with me, if you walk five hours with somebody to play a golf round, how do you hate them? It's not possible, right? It's just not possible.
0: It shouldn't be possible, but that's on us. True. I, uh, You know, what's interesting is hearing that, it, I, I haven't really thought back to the beginning of, you know, I guess my current career in a while. Um, but in this context, really, the beginning of it all started with a, a what I thought, well, first of all, I hit a golf ball and I loved it. That's, that's obviously the first page of the film, but around page 10, when I really realized the journey ahead, it was this shock of, whoa, I would go to a public course and I would see a a Benetton ad. You know what I mean? Primarily Asians in Los Angeles, Koreans, um, a lot of black people, a lot of women, A lot of young kids, hipster guys who were just wearing sneakers, hoodies, cargo shorts. Yeah. Different types of golf clubs, old and new. And my first thought was, wow, this is not what I thought it was. I'm totally blown away. Um, And really, since then, the entire goal with the camera has been to point that out to people who don't know what golf is. And I think that has obviously expanded and sharpened a little bit, but you know, and, and in some ways now, I guess I would never think that I would have this seat, but this seat now is more like, uh, I guess uh, now not so much talking to people that don't play golf, but maybe more talking to people that do play golf and saying you do realize that, You know, all sorts of people play this game. I mean, because the interesting about golf is that you you're a member at a club where you live in Texas, and um, you know that becomes your only sample of the game. And and that's actually why I left my my golf club is because I wanted more sampling. I did. I I I can't eat at one restaurant all the time. And it wasn't because of the tenth hole or the twelfth hole. It was because of you know, no offense to any of the members there. I love all the members. But it was just because, I mean, life is so much bigger than that. <laughs> you know I mean? The world is is massive. And I mean, wouldn't you rather go to an all-you-can-eat buffet than one restaurant every day? And that's the way it became for me, is the food I was eating socially became bland, quite literally, vanilla. And <laughs> yeah. No, I get
1: it. I get and I'll And I'll say this, you know, it's funny. We belong to a club. It's five minutes from our home, and it's easy to get to, right? And I can go... Beats and balls between phone calls, particularly now, right? In the Zoom world where everything's a phone call, it's great. Um, but I pack my golf bag with me when I travel. Right. I mean, the whole goal is can I leave a day early, leave a day late? My wife is the world's most patient person for this and she understands it, but you know, the random walk you get to take with someone in a new place, particularly if it's a course you've never played before and they've never played before, you know, it's um this opportunity to navigate both a social interaction and a competitive interaction all at the same time and do so in a partnership, right? And you may never see that person again. but in the in the ropes, so to speak, that person's like your best friend, your' uh, you know the person that's going to console you on a bad shot while wow you on a good one. and you know, for that period of time, you Have to be vulnerable enough to share a piece of you. And that piece of you goes with that other person, and you take a piece of that other person with you, and it can color and shape every interaction that you have after that. And, you know, I think it's important, you know, for golfers, we do so much on the golf course we do business, we talk, we get away recognize the fact that you can have those interactions those authentic interactions with anybody
0: yeah and i think that really steps into you know there's a famous quote out there that that um traveling i don't know the quote but traveling really ends racist thinking prejudism, sure. prejudice um and in that same sense golf, if you play on the right course with the right mindset, golf is a wonderful example of this. And that's what I was seeing in the beginning of my golfing life that preceded my filmmaker golfing life. And I, as you were speaking, Matt, I was thinking, man, I wish we got paired up together, (laughs) but we did. We did through golf quite literally. Yeah. And so I'm grateful for that. Um, I, I, I was, I was, Wanting to now go talk about further to that point of, you know, you're, you're inside the ropes, you're in the ring together, both both sort of tag teaming this enemy um, that is totally all accepting, right? The golf course itself is entirely um, colorblind and, and, and completely welcoming at the same time. And it's unfortunate that the people that, you know, put the gate up are the ones with the problem. Sometimes, not all the time. Um, sure. But we talked a little bit about um, people versus perception versus reality and how that happens in a sense. And so, you know, in, in my original comment that you responded to, it was this caddy who, uh, uh, um, for the sake of assumption and argument, probably hadn't traveled a bunch, probably hadn't played a bunch of probably hadn't been in a lot of scenarios where his thinking would be checked or would be not even checked necessarily confrontationally, but checked as far as his own beliefs by saying, oh wait, here is a group of golfers who are all, they all look totally different. And the one I relate to the most is a man who looks, his skin looks totally different from mine. And that experience I've been lucky enough to have, and I thrive on it over and over again, is this just like, wow, we are so different. And yet, and really it's a, total coincidence. If you think about it, like, like to go to Nepal and meet a bunch of people who you're like, we could not be more different, but yet when we get on the golf course, we have a language that is completely, uh, you know, th- fluent for us. And that's been, what, an, what a, what a, we're an incredible experience to have. And I guess in some ways, adventures in golf I mean, if you like, you, there should almost be a password before you watch Adventures in Golf is like, are you racist? You <laughs> can't watch this. Or actually, are you racist? You, you have should, to watch it. You,
1: you, have, you to. have to watch it. You have to see it. Yeah. You have to see it, for sure.
0: I never thought of that work that way. That's interesting. Because it was never that for me. For me, it was always this fascination. Anyway, that's not what I want to talk about. What I wanted to talk about was, in your normal life. If if you are in an experience with someone and golf is a great example of it, and, and you and I were talking about a message from someone else who I had gotten who said, you know, um, I'm a cop. I've been a cop for 13 years. I randomly got paired up with a defense attorney who I hate, did not want to play golf with him. Turns out we had a great four hour round and we have a lot in common, and we didn't really talk about what we don't have in common, which was our jobs, and that we're literally on opposing sides of the same criminal. Um, or maybe criminal, well, you know, innocent until proven guilty, I guess. Um, but you know, that, that experience of, of being with a person that changes your perception and that changes your reality. And the truth is obviously, um, you know, and it exists for everybody. And I, and I was curious to, I I would like to hear you talk about that a little bit. If there's a story or an anecdote about that, please share.
1: You know, I think it's, it's tough because you, I think once you tee off, right? Um, You're in it together. I think actually the hardest moment for me when you're golfing someplace new is the walk from your car to the starter where it's um, particularly when you play in private clubs, right? You get invited somewhere to play. Uh, There's a vulnerability that comes with that. You know, I alluded to when we, we spoke uh, a couple days ago, you know, I had an incident at a, another private club here in San Antonio where I was going to play with some co-workers and I pull up and take my bag out of the car, start walking up and the general manager asks me, this is a private club. Why are you, why are you bringing your golf club here? This isn't a public
0: course. That's his opening statements to That's his Matt. opening
1: statement to me.
0: And ball. you're wearing a great golf outfit, I'm sure. Uh,
1: yep. yep no. Head <laughs> to toe, shirt tucked in, carrying a golf bag, right? Not there to really do anything else.
0: How many years ago is this?
1: Uh, this was about five years ago. Okay. Um, and, you know, we get to the first tee and the member, I kind of say, hey, you know, this this happened, it was really uncomfortable for me. He's like... Oh, you know, it just happens. He doesn't know. He didn't mean anything by it, you know. And we went and we played the round. And I got to be honest, it was a horrible round. Um, I I couldn't wait to leave. Um,
0: why? Because, I, I without I I I'm not being dumb, but why was it a horrible round?
1: Because you come in and you just feel like if someone could snap their fingers and wish you away they would you know the member in question feels like oh my goodness you know this is something I've got to handle now the GM obviously when he sees me there oh I'm sorry you know give me some bland explanation as to why he would have asked that when other people are walking in and no one else was asked that you just reach a point where you say I just don't want to be in this space I've refused any invitation to go play there again I'll never play there I'll never step foot on the course every time we have an encounter with someone it's an opportunity to either be an invitation or an opportunity to make someone feel snubbed and look people are people there's going to be good days and bad days and people are going to have their interactions but when you you know that you're the only black person you see within five miles of the vicinity of this club you're the only one who's singled out You know that isn't the basis on who you are or what you're doing. You know exactly why someone is trying to, in their mind, tactfully ask if you belong in their space. And so at some point you reach, you know, and I think that as as folks talk to other folks, something to keep in their mind, you want people to feel welcome in your space. If you're going to be authentic about this, you, you have to create a welcoming environment for folks. And that starts with being open to the idea that anyone can be in that space and be welcome. And what does that mean as a institution or a club or a country or a home or a friend?
0: We know what the GM did was wrong. The member, could they have done anything to, I mean you, you clearly told them because why why did you tell them? I think I know, but I want to hear it from you.
1: Because no one gets to do that to me without me taking some recourse. It's important that they recognize that this place, which, you know, clubs represent an investment of time and money and social capital. And it's important to know that as a coworker, a peer, you invited me into your space. And the first thing that I found was that I wasn't welcome there. And it tells you a lot about the person to see how they react to it. Well,
0: Cause I'm trying to think if it happened like, like I'm really trying to put myself pre, pre this movement, pre, pre this week. If I brought a black friend to a golf club and he wasn't treated nicely and he told me about it, I'm, I'm really trying to think if I would do anything other than but really? Who was it? And then I'd be like, excuse me. And I would literally go and I would talk to the most, the, the GM base. I mean, if it is the GM, then I would talk to the president of the board and I would say, look, dude, this, this, whatever you said, what did, what was your experience? What did you say? Why did you say that? Granted, I'm in Los Angeles. It's a little different. Sure. Um, but it's not a 100% different.
1: But you asked, you know, you know one of the things that you, you talk about is what can you do as an ally? part of being an ally is doing exactly what you said, which is if this space is my space, then it's anyone's space who I bring with me. And if you have a problem with that, then you have a problem with me. And I think that, you know, sometimes...
0: Hang on. That's too good. This is my space and anyone here is with me. And if you have a problem with them, you have a problem with me. That's, That's
1: perfect, what allyship is. Yeah. Right? That's what caring for people is. And, you know, I'll, I'll give an example from growing up. I grew up in Massachusetts, and um, I was going to a birthday party at, we'll call it a very historic country club where um, maybe Francis we met might have played. And I remember um, uh, one of. You know, one of my parents' friends who said, if he's going to this party, um, I'm going to spend the day there. And it wasn't because I didn't have other things to do. It was because they, it meant a lot to them to make sure nothing happened to me while there.
0: Tell me about this. You're a friend of your parents and a little more?
1: Yeah, he was a professional colleague and a friend. Um, he was white and he just said, I want to make sure that our space is a comfortable space for you and your and your son. And I think that
0: um, Can you can you just for a second? So did you sure. hear that then? Or is it you heard this in back? No, I heard
1: this many years ago. So many years so, later, excuse me.
0: It's so crazy to me to think about that. You and I I mean, how old were you at that time?
1: Oh, probably 11
0: or 12. It's so incredible to think of the, um, you know, intricate pathways that are happening outside of our childlike minds. Because as a child, I mean, I'm hearing now that at 10, I don't know when it changed for you, but was six?
1: Uh, I think it was probably about five or six. My, okay. You know, my parent, when we grew up in, I was born in Connecticut. and My parents are going into the city every day. And, you know, I think I remember being with my dad and being in New York City or in such a hustling, bustling place, but being aware, you know, this is, this is early 90s New York City, right? Um, and you had to, it's just a different time. And my dad being very aware of the fact that he was bringing me into that environment or my mom and saying, look, these are the rules that we have to follow because this is about our, you know, our own safety and not, you know, and these are two extremely well-educated, you know, professional people so worried about that. Right. Uh, You know, when I graduated from college, I was uh, an investment banker uh, and then I worked for a private equity firm and as an investor. And I remember being, uh, walking in a suit in Midtown, my office was, you know, right off of Park Avenue. You know, having a cop stop me and ask why I was in that neighborhood. Right, I'm in a, a, suit and a Hermes tie. I mean, right? It's just. <laughs> wow. But that's the but that's the stuff that happens. You know, it's it's it's. Are you welcome in that space? Does it make sense for you to be in that space? And are people willing to stand up and say this person is with me? And if we as a community have a problem with this person being with me, we as a community need to change. And we as a community need to make a a different choice.
0: Did anything happen at the party?
1: No, nothing happened. I came, I went, I had a great time.
0: Um, The interesting thing about that for me though is that there are so many under to all of these things as children that are happening. Yeah. I, I, uh, my next door neighbor growing up had, uh, I think his parents were by a biracial couple and, um, Nathan and we were like best friends and, um, he, uh, we were the same age and, um, yeah, it's like show me the difference between us I couldn't I couldn't show you I didn't I didn't get it and then he and then he moved I remember right around that time right around the time I was 10 and then I don't know how it came out but yeah I mean prior to that it was just you got. I wasn't taught yet sadly or unsadly I guess
1: or what you're taught is um and I will tell you, there's a particularly insidious thing that's taught, which is the idea that I don't see color, right? If you really don't see color, I also don't want you driving a car because we use red and green lights. So <laughs> um, you do see color. Everyone sees color, right? The, 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 the goal here is not that you don't see color because uh, we don't live in a place where a meritocratic society actually works yet, right? Because you have people starting on third, second, first and some people have to start at home. So unless everyone starts at home, it doesn't really work because you'll never be able to compete. Yeah. Evenly. yeah. But
0: this is, um, clearly the exemplified in the video. I don't know if anyone, if you listening have yes. seen it, but it's, uh, I think you could probably just go on YouTube and take, and take two steps forward and exactly. you'll see this film where this, it's a church group. Um, and the pastor is kind of out there and he's saying it looks like a gym class of high school and he says, If your parents are still together, take two steps forward. I'm gonna have a race, I'll give you a hundred dollars if you win. And he goes through all of these, <clears throat> you know, questions and answers. And if you say yes to anything, you get to take two steps forward. Are your parents still together? Can do you have you ever had to think about paying your cell phone bill? Are you going to college not based on your athletic ability without paying? Um And basically at the end, there's a bunch of white kids up front who are asked to turn around and see that everyone still on the starting line is primarily black. And he says that this, you were asked questions that have, like you were talking about meritocracy, the questions I asked you were not based on anything that you did. They were based on the cards that were in your hand when you were born. And that is systemic racism, I guess.
1: It is. It is a, um, and what's so interesting is you see the kids then run the race, right? And there are still a couple kids, kids don't even very, run. <laughs> they don't, and there's still a couple of kids at the very front who run to win. Yeah. Right. They want to win the hundred bucks, and I find it so interesting because there's a group that runs, and they see it. They probably intellectually understand it, but they're still focused on winning the hundred bucks for the race. And there's another group at the front who really actually stop and it floors them. And I think that um, you made a good point here. Everyone's running their race. Everyone has problems, right? Um, systemic racism is a problem. And it does not mean that those who are not suffering from it don't have other issues. Right, This country is rife with other issues, whether it's socioeconomic differentiation and a lack of a social safety net, lack of access to healthcare. I mean, we can go on and on and on, right? It just means that the color of your skin isn't one of the problems that's plaguing you, right? And I think that we have a tendency into natural human interaction, right? We rationalize. Well, they face this, but I face these other things, right? but just because we solve this doesn't mean we don't need to go solve these other things. And I think that it's, but we can solve this one right now. So if we can solve this one, it also provides a pathway for how we solve the others. Right. We, we live in a society that is, uh, horribly gender biased. Right. I mean, we know that or, uh you know lgbtq plus community being discriminated against right like all of these pockets of prejudice need to be dealt with and the one we're dealing with or talking about today is systemic racism so solve it because the clip at which black men and women and i think let's not forget you know It was Breonna Taylor's birthday either today or yesterday. There should have been 27. Yeah. She got killed in her sleep because of a no-knock warrant and a trigger-happy cop. You know, and that's not to suggest that cops don't have hard jobs or that there aren't good police officers. But you can't be a good police officer if you're also complicit in not rooting out those who abuse their powers as a part of the job, right? your, your community protector. Um, you know, when you think about the oath of office that a federal officer takes, right? I'm going to protect this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Right. I mean, it's, it's about ensuring that the society that we're trying to live in is one that is fair and equitable for all of its participants. And the fact that we haven't been good about it in the past doesn't mean we can't be excellent at it in the future. And I do want to bring a note of positivity here because the one thing that's true is nothing is ever fixed in place forever, right? Um, I was born free. I wasn't born a slave. That's progress. But I'll still get pulled over multiple times in a night driving across Tennessee in a fairly standard sedan because cops can pull me over. And claim it was window tinting or whatever else it may be. You know, I hope that if I have children, they don't have that fight. You know, my wife is Mexican, I'm black, my children are gonna face racism, systemic racism, and prejudice, you know, from attributes of both of their parents. So instead of trying to prove to each other that we all face a lot of challenges and this idea of let's just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps because I got past it. Let's instead understand that there are systemic problems that create an uneven playing field. And that step one for all of us is to level that out. Because we can't be the society that we say we want to be. One that allows for creativity and art and scientific exploration and, you know, the creation of things that are good and lasting and meaningful without some unity amongst our base. Right? And we can talk about all of the contributions to that. Uh, taxes matter there. Community policing matters there. Federal, local, and state policy matters there. Voting matters. And not just voting for presidents and senators and congressmen, look down ballot. Who's your mayor? Who's your county commissioner? Who runs your uh, Who runs your uh, school board? Getting involved, shoot, sure, dog catcher can matter, right? It doesn't <laughs> matter what they are, but it's how can we be active participants in creating a positive change for society? We're looking for, and you know, I'll say as a black man in America that starts with recognize our own flaws. And that is the flaw of systemic racism, racism and racial violence. And the fact that you have a group of people right now who's being targeted, who's being killed over the color of their skin. Doesn't work if we let that continue. And that's not to say that there aren't other issues. But the ramifications of systemic racism on access to opportunity, economic, educational, right? Across the board, it all goes hand in hand. So the next time you catch yourself saying, well, I've got problems too, know that there's no one in the black community who is saying you don't have problems too. We understand and empathize but we can't solve this problem on our own and we can never be good enough to have solved this problem on our own. It's about solving this together.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. I know, um, the idea of together, the idea of allies, the idea of, Hey, can you help me with this? A lot of people, that that's presented in a, a unique reality, I think for a lot of, well, people myself, like white people who are like, well, I mean, I know I'm not racist, but you know, this is very uncomfortable. What do I do? And then there's, that's, that's all fine. I'm fine with being uncomfortable. I'm fine with wondering what to do. And I feel like we have always done a good job of this. And I've always had, you know, the driving force of everything that we do is all are welcome, but that's not quite the same as, what's happening right now, which is more important, but there's been, you know, there's, I, I've, I've, uh, I've observed in myself and in others, the, <clears throat> there's a lot of people out there, I guess, maybe, maybe it's starting from them. There's a lot of people out there saying this thing like, oh, that's just a white guy who feels uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, it is. You nailed it. I feel very uncomfortable. I feel so uncomfortable that I'm going to completely change the way we do our job for now a week and a half. And I'm going to completely stop doing everything that we were doing. I'm getting off this freeway because I'm very, very, very uncomfortable with everything that's happening. And I don't know. I mean, it's just like that. there's this sort of... um, Imposter syndrome, almost, I think, that I've been observing. Not so much in myself. I've, I've always felt this way. It's not like I'm new to feeling this way. Someone actually posted, and I'm afraid to listen to it, uh, podcast number one. Um, and they said that, that their comment was, Eric's been talking about these issues since the beginning. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know if I could listen to that. I mean, I, I want to now. I think I will. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like, who cares? Even if you are being an imposter, it's not for a bad thing
1: no no it's not for a bad thing you know i'll say this two things are are definitely true one is um it's about commitment and follow through right like what happens a lot is we'll get these two three weeks of outrage and people feel like they've said something and they posted and they donated some money but they didn't follow through right and my encouragement for you eric and my encouragement for anyone who's listening who's thinking about how do i make a difference It is committing to a change in lifestyle, not committing to a redirection of where you're just donating some funds for this year, right, or thinking about doing a couple of calls and calling in a day. It is, am I consistently in my life, in my job, in my interactions, promoting an idea of equality and end to systemic racism and violence? So as you look across your company, do we have a commitment to uh, hiring a diverse workforce? Have we really, and that's not just identifying a few minority candidates and bringing them along. It's actually, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I think about even in my own company, you know, we always are thinking about how do we divert, how do we recruit from non-traditional sources of talent, right? And by I've, the way, thinking about this too, if you're in business and you want to take a different spin on it, There are hugely undervalued, incredibly talented people that are waiting for opportunities if you can get access to them. And if you do, you will win because you will get to be a part of employing a phenomenally talented generation of people who have a skill set that's fantastic, right? So competitively, you're gonna be in a better place for doing that. So I think that's part one, but I think there's part two, which is the imposter part, right? being an ally is not an issue of impostorship, right? It's only, you're, you're only an imposter if you give lip service, but continue to do what you're doing. Part of the way that you can avoid that is also looking for other voices of color who are out there and listening to what they have to say, amplifying their voices. Let them tell you where their pain is. Let them help you come up with those solutions right? It's a problem that I think cannot be solved without the active cooperation of white America. But it's white America in conjunction with black America or minority America saying, here are our pain points. Let's work together to fix them legislatively. Let's work together to fix them societally. Let's work together to fix them both at the local and like hyper-personal level, as well as." We think about our posture as a nation and what we encourage and support more broadly, right? It's across the board. You're not an imposter for wanting to do it. You just need to look for other voices that can help guide you. And that's okay, right? Like it's okay to say, I wanna make a change and I am willing to work with those who are willing to do so and I'm willing to listen and let them lead and find my own voice
0: yeah, I've found um on that note, say maybe in a trite way, I've I've found a lot of new accounts to follow this week that have been um it feels good, you know, to hear new things and to see them differently. Um that's been that's been you know, part of it for me is like where am I getting my information? You know what I mean? Like sure <laughs> you know I mean the PGA sure. talk isn't telling me much they did do something in the end which was good with the, the Harold Varner piece and you know Jay is a good person at the end of the day but it is it was a bit it was a bit of a long week waiting for that
1: But well, you're part of that platform which means that you have the ability to you know you have the ability to then make it more real and go places that maybe the tour is taking its time to get to and help pull them in that direction right and you don't have to be black to be a difference maker in this you just have to be willing to listen and understand what the real issues are confront your own discomfort but the positive part of confronting your own discomfort is like I think intellectually, most people know that there's a problem. It's just inconvenient to have to deal with, and you have your own host of problems going on and I'm not minimizing that, but holding yourself to account for it and saying that, you know, regardless of what else is going on with me, I know that I'm creating a better society. That's actually better for me in the long run because it's more inclusive of other voices. I can learn more, do more, we can accomplish more as a people in you know star trek has always been kind of you know a guilty pleasure and i I love it but you know the idea that humanity has stopped fighting wars and put its resources together right to see what you can achieve is like a as revolutionary concept as space travel itself and there's a lot to be said for that
0: Yeah, I do feel like, you know, we have seen some good news already, which is I feel like really fast and really good. And I definitely also feel like I don't want to stop, you know, pushing. And um, I think I'm grateful for that. You know, I'm grateful for you're, um, you know, sharing your, you know, story simply, but, but, you know, even, even guidance and advice, obviously well thought out. And, um, we are putting together more of a comprehensive plan of action essentially for the random golf club family of how we can take steps towards being active in this rather than just sort of feeling it and then waiting for it to be over. So um, I think we can end there. And I'd like to, you know, we have obviously more time to stay in touch and do this, but I think, you know, for me, I'm just so really grateful that you reached out and that, um, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but you were there to, kind of helped me a little bit, um, which just feels so backwards to say, but you know, you did. And I hope I've, I hope I can also be of help. Um, but, and I think everyone listening feels the same way. So um, thank you.
1: Oh, thanks Eric. And uh, look, at the end of the day, It isn't an issue of who did what first. It's an issue of can we work together to fix it, right? And you don't know what you don't know until you've really had to confront it. And you confronted it. That says everything. You can do it. Other people can do it too. And you're giving a space to amplify the voices of people of color and let them tell their story. That is a real thing.
0: I'm smiling because I'm looking, I'm trying to imagine your golf swing and I'm looking forward to when we play together. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm headed to the range right after this. So there you are go. Are you really?
0: I am. Um, Matt, thank you so much. Um, I, I honestly, I don't know how to end this. So I, I will say we're not going to run any ads on this episode. Um, but uh, we, if you're not aware, we did release an all our welcome hat which we're donating all of the proceeds to the ACLU and to Colin Kaepernick's Know Your Rights Camp, which support, um, you know, all sorts of different things. And, and we came up with those, feeling like those, for now, would be the best. And we're actually going to make a lot more uh, with that logo, the the All Are Welcome with kind of the fist holding the golf club. And, um, you know, we'll make a lot of different items that people were asking for, not just headwear, but shirts and things. And that'll always go to this. Um, as long as we have that on something. So, um, that I
1: ordered mine this week.
0: Good. It, it, <laughs> I, I, that was the happiest I've been in a couple of weeks. Um, was just seeing that, wow, this was right. This was right. This was right. And it's not the only thing, but it's, it's, it was the first real, okay, we have, this, and, it, and I like it because it has a couple different purposes. It it has this, when you go to a course and someone sees it, it's like, yeah, that's where I'm at, brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right.
1: It matters though. Imagine if I had walked into that private course we talked about and the GM had walked out and said hello and had that hat on. Yeah. How different would my experience have been? How different would a woman who's coming to play with Uh, a group of work colleagues have felt, you know, it's not an old, you know, kind of an all boys club, right? I mean, take your pick, but the more we can promote the fact that we're all people and the better the world gets.
0: Well, and that's sort of the problem that I run into is, you know, there were four people that were involved in the, uh, in the, in the murder of George Floyd and one of them, Thomas, the rookie, said twice do you want to turn him over I don't, are you aware of that part i am so there was a 19 year veteran basically murdering this man and the rookie comes in and says whoa, whoa, whoa you're gonna kill this guy turn him over turn him over and had he physically intervened he would have been fired for assaulting a police officer there was not enough time to really do anything and it's all happening so fast. And I guess the sad the saddest part of that is is he did what you should do, right? Yes or no?
1: He did, but the question is the follow through. And actually I'm gonna say something, I'm gonna equate something here. Okay. What you've done over the next, these first couple weeks is great. It's gonna be the follow through. And physically intervening, knowing the costs might have cost him a job, but might have saved a man's life. And when you weigh the two things, and look, he's got to live with that. I I don't, I mean, the question is going to be this, when you get fatigued and when you get tired and you realize that pushing this mountain over of systemic racism is confronting hundreds of years of history in this country, and it's going to be hard and people are going to get elected that you don't want to see elected. There's going to be pushback and steps back. Are you willing to put it on the line to stand by that? And I think that's where the challenge is going to come. It's not this first flurry. It's 10 years from now. I hope we're doing our forties podcast.
0: <laughs> I'll be 50
1: where we're, uh, where we're talking about, you know, what that journey looked like. But if you embrace this journey, Eric, I think you, any of our, any of the listeners, if you embrace this journey, it may be the most fulfilling thing you ever do. And if you have children, you are creating a world that is going to be far better for them.
0: Yeah. And I guess all, of course, I agree. I think what I think about is that GM and how, you know, we, we we're getting close to the point where some members of society are saying, whoa, 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 that's incorrect. That is not right. I'm not okay with that. And honestly, and it's tough because if you're a bag boy at that golf club and the GM comes out and asks Matt, sorry, it's a private club. Uh, what are you doing here? And you're a bag boy and you're like, well, that's a fucking asshole. Like, why is he, why is he saying that? He's clearly going to play golf. What? He's like dressed for golf. He's not an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, yep. look at him. Like, I mean, he's not... He clearly knows what's going on. He's, he's, and, and how does the bag boy react? Do they, do they go make, cause the truth is a lot of people listen to this podcast work in the golf industry. I know this. A lot of them are PGA professionals, supers. A lot of them are caddies. So what, what, what do they do when they see it happen in front of them? Cause the problem is it could be a guest. It could be a member. It could be a superior. It's easy if it's, an inferior, if someone subordinate, that's the easiest one, but, but it's, it's so rare that that person at the top is like, you know, whoa, this is not a racist spot, bro. You're out, you're fired.
1: Yeah. But I think that's the challenge here. Right. And this is where I think that you have to look at it and say this, I don't blame the bag boy for not coming and confronting the GM. Right. Like, you know, some people would have the, that bad boy may also be putting money on, you know, putting food on the table with that money and can't afford to lose that job. That's where you have to look at and say, if I have the ability to make a difference here, am I making it? You know, the guy I worked with who's the member, that's the guy who should be raising hell about it.
0: He's the biggest failure of it all.
1: Right. I don't, I, I, you know, and I think this is one of those things. I, I agree with you because you have the ability, you have the power to do it. So the question is, you look at your life. I'm not suggesting that if you work for a fortune 500 company and you're just starting out and you're happy to have a paycheck that you need to storm into the CEO's office and say, damn it. Like I need to see a statement. I need to see it now. What I am saying is you need to look at your own family and friends too, right? Like part of winning this battle is winning it on the hyper local level. Yeah. It's the racist uncle who says something and you're like, you know what? I've let this go in the past, but I'm not going to. I don't want to participate in this conversation. You need to stop with this. Yeah. It's not right. It's the friend who, it's being cognizant of, um, maybe my friend, the member, imagine if he had been waiting and walked out to get me in the parking lot. What a statement does that make, you know? It's how can we use our structural power to fight and combat this system in the world in which we have influence. And if everyone from CEO to entry-level employees fighting it, the network effect of that effort is going to get you where you want to go.
0: Yeah. This is where it starts to feel like Fight Club in a great way. It's like we are all equal. We're our own police now and we're all equal. And you know, you're right. I mean, you don't need to quit your job. You don't need to be, um, you know, this is, you don't need to be, you need to take care of yourself, obviously, but when the opportunity arises, that's when you should, that's what you got to be prepared for. And um, this is that opportunity as a, on a big scale, but look for those opportunities in your personal life, I guess is what we're saying.
1: Absolutely. And you'll be surprised because they're plentiful. Thank you, Matt. This has been great, Eric. I appreciate the the chance to chat.
0: Yeah, me too. And um, I look forward to I look forward to playing together. I hope you uh, what are you working on now in the game? what's what are you are you going to the range just to feel to get away? Are you working on something?
1: Uh, you know, it's always a combination for me on the range, right? It's a little bit of a just get a little get a little uh, aggression from the week out, but I think uh, more importantly, just making sure we don't overdraw the ball. Right. There you so go. just a little bit of fields, and uh, I know I'm going to date this podcast by saying, "When can I get the back nine of Sheep's Ranch?"
0: It's I, we we're, <sighs> Snowball's got Snow, some, snowball scuzzy. No snowball agrees. Like a, he, <laughs> he's getting very old. <laughs> I know now because he sort of starts shrieking on his own. I think he's got some. He's got some. I don't know problems. Um, uh, we're doing the vlogs like every Friday. Awesome. So. Yeah. So we're doing it Friday. Um, I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you watched it.
1: I'm using it to convince my wife to let me go back to Bandon if she can come and walk with me.
0: Dude, you've got nine weeks of vlogs from Bandon. We did every course for the preserve.
1: I'm going to start sending them to her every Friday morning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, I look forward to meeting you and her. And um, I look forward to uh, maybe we'll go to Bandon. I mean, I'm ready to I'm ready to hit the road again. It's been a while. Love it. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Matt. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.